Chapter 10 of Zofloya. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Neela, Iowa City, Iowa. Zofloya by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 10. Some time passed on bus and still Barenza, languishing for positive conviction of Victoria's love for him, continued to treat her as a beloved and innocent sister, rather than as a destined mistress, for though his taste in female beauty led him to view that of Victoria with the eye of an enraptured amateur, still he was too scrupulously refined to accept the privilege fortune had thrown in his way, or anticipate, by premature encroachment, the smallest of pleasures he promised himself for the future, when she should prove to him delightful idea that her heart was intrinsically his. Charmed as he was by the boldness of her natural character, charmed as he was with the graces of her face and figure, yet was Barenza a man of too proud a mind to be swayed to a conduct that his peculiar delicacy contemned. In vain would he sometimes seek for a trait of innocent tenderness in the countenance of Victoria, something that should convince him he was beloved. No, hers was not the countenance of a Madonna. It was not of angelic mold. Yet, though there was a fierceness in it, it was not certainly a repelling, but a beautiful fierceness, dark, noble, strongly expressive, Every lineament bespoke the mind which animated it. True, no mild, no gentle, no endearing virtues were depicted there, but while you gazed upon her, you observed not the want of any charm. Her smile was fascination itself, and in her large dark eyes, which sparkled with incomparable radiance, you read the traces of a strong and resolute mind, capable of attempting anything undismayed by consequences. And well and truly did they speak. Her figure, though above the middling height, was symmetry itself. She was as the tall and graceful antelope. Her air was dignified and commanding, yet free from stiffness. She moved along with head erect and with step firm and majestic, nor was her carriage ever degraded by levity or affectation. Living under his roof, almost perpetually in his company, she became daily a more dangerous object to the peace and to the forbearance of Berenza. Yet even in those times when his ideas and actions were least subject to the control of his reason, it was but for an instant to admit the tormenting reflection that perhaps she felt not for him a genuine and ardent affection, for a sudden gloom to take possession of him and overspread his countenance. The singularity of his conduct surprised Victoria. She endeavored to investigate the cause and to trace, if possible, the workings of his mind. To this end she watched with scrutinizing eye every movement, every look. She listened to and weighed every word he spoke. Then, combining the whole, discovered ere long the secret which pressed upon his feelings. What then, would she exclaim, confiding her reflections to her pillow? Berenza fears that I love him not? This idea, then, is the grand source of his constrained, mysterious conduct towards me. Then, reverting to herself, she examined the state of her heart respecting him, 
And do I not then love Paranza? she said. I know not, nor what may be the precise nature of love. But this I know, that I prefer him to all men, that I think him elegant and accomplished, and that if death snatched him from me, I should grieve. True, my sensations towards him have nothing ardent in them, nor do I feel that oppression of soul, that doubt, that uneasiness, respecting his attachment for me, that he seems to entertain of mine. Yes, I feel it is requisite to my future prospects, to those plans and views, yet vague and indefinite, which are floating in my brain, that he should not entertain any, not the smallest doubts of my regard for him. I must endeavor, then, to suit my conduct to the fastidious delicacy of his ideas. So reasoned, from combined inferences, the subtle Victoria. True indeed it was, she did not love the scrupulous, the refined Berenza. She was incapable of loving such a man. Nay, she was by nature unfitted to admit so soft, so pure a sentiment as real love. Victoria's heart was a stranger to every gentle, noble, or superior feeling. The ambitious, the selfish, the wild, and the turbulent were hers. Hers were the stormy passions of the soul, goading on to ruin and despair. Berenza's were mild, philosophic, though proudly tenacious. His were as the even stream, calm yet deep. Hers as the foaming cataract, rushing headlong from the rocky steep, and raging in the abyss below. She was not susceptible of a single sentiment, vibrating from a tender movement of the heart. She could not feel gratitude. She could not, therefore, feel affection. She could inflict pain without remorse, and she could utterly revenge the slightest attempt to inflict it on herself. The wildest passions predominated in her bosom, to gratify them, she possessed an unshrinking, relentless soul that would not startle at the darkest crime. Unhappy girl, whom nature organized when offended with mankind, and whom education that might have corrected tended only to confirm in depravity. Berenza, as before has been remarked, was the only man who had ever paid her particular attention. Consequently, it was natural that what feeling of preference she was capable of entertaining should be given to him. She voluntarily sought his protection, because she knew not whom else to solicit. She remained under his roof, for she knew not of another, and though any heart but hers would have been deeply and enthusiastically affected by the nobleness and delicacy of conduct he had, under all these circumstances, observed towards her, Yet did she remain wholly unimpressed, nor was a single idea awakened by it that did not revert to self. She saw only that it would be necessary and politic to answer his sincere and honorable love, at least with an appearance equally ardent and sincere. The peculiar cast of Berenza's disposition was in reality melancholy, somber, and reflective, though in society seeming gay and careless. She then must become melancholy, retired, and abstracted. Berenza would hence be induced to scrutinize the cause. Artifice on her side, and natural self-love on his, would easily make him attribute it to the effects of a violent and concealed love. Thus would an explanation be the result, 
and the reserve, the doubts, the hesitations of Berenza at an end. Her plan arranged, she entered on it gradually. Her eyes, no longer full of the wild and beautiful animation, were taught to languish or to fix for hours with musing air upon the ground. Her gait, no longer firm and elevated, became hesitating and despondent. She no longer engrossed the conversation. She became silent, apparently absent, and plunged in thought. It was now Berenza who had to call her from a melancholy abstraction, to inquire if any hidden uneasiness preyed upon her mind. Victoria saw, exultingly saw, the gradual operation of her plan. New and rapturous ideas, scarcely admitted even to himself, began to occupy the soul of Berenza, but as yet he spoke not. He hoped not. He was slow, because he was fearful to believe. It was one night, after a day of well-acted gloom and oppression of spirits, that Victoria, having left the apartment occupied by the Comte, retired into the saloon, and throwing herself upon a sofa near one of the windows, enjoyed the delicious fresco of the evening. She had not been long in this situation, before Baranza, unable to bear her absence, determined to seek her in the saloon, and perceiving her reclined upon a sofa, imagined she slept. Closing gently the door, therefore, he softly approached her. In an instant, an idea had glanced across the mind of Victoria. She determined to avail herself of this circumstance and of Berenza's mistake. Shutting her eyes, she affected in reality to be asleep. The Comte drew near, and gazing upon her for a few moments, he seated himself beside her. Oh, Victoria, in a low voice, he tenderly said, Why, why, my love, art thou unhappy? Oh, that I, that I might only hope I were the envied cause. Ah, were it indeed so, Berenza would be too happy. He paused. Victoria, as if disturbed in her sleep, heaved a broken sigh, faintly giving utterance to the name of Berenza. Berenza scarcely ventured to breathe. Why wilt thou not love me, Berenza? she murmured. Berenza's heart beat high. He drew his breath quick. Victoria was sensible of his emotion. One word more, thought she. Indeed, indeed, Berenza, I love thee, she articulated, starting up and stretching out her arms as if under the impression of her dream, attempting to embrace him, when opening her eyes and affecting surprise and shame at the sight of Berenza, she covered her face with her hands and turned aside. The violent emotion of Berenza was such that for some moments he was deprived of the power of speech. The blood rushed from his heart to his head. His senses became confused when, seizing wildly in his arms, the artful Victoria, he exclaimed in a hurried accent, Thou art mine. Yes, I know now that thou art mine. Proud of her achievement, it was Victoria's care that her lover should not recover from his delusion. Well did she support the character she had assumed, and the tender, refined Berenza became convinced that he possessed the first pure and genuine affections of an innocent and lovely girl. End of chapter 10